Hello and welcome to the Diz Unplug Roundtable Discussion for December 11, 2007. From Orlando, Florida, I'm your host, Pete Werner, joined each week by our team of Orlando experts, Bob Varley, Julie Martin, Corey Martin, Kevin Close, and John Majak. In the news this week, we'll tell you about the gun-packing granny who was arrested at Walt Disney World over the weekend. We'll also tell you about our first podcast meet at the Walt Disney World Dolphin last week. Kevin Close gives us a review of Wolfgang Puck Cafe at Downtown Disney West Side. And we're also going to discuss the new 2009 sailings that Disney Cruise Line recently announced. All that plus Roundtable Rapid Fire and your emails on this week's edition of the Diz Unplugged Roundtable. So uh, just some housekeeping before we start. We had our, uh, our first meet um, last Thursday, December 6th, and it was, uh, it was a great experience. I think I speak for everybody. We all had a, a great time. Had a yeah. lot of fun. We had we a did. great turnout, and uh, you know we had food and drinks. and It, it flew by, didn't it? It, it really did. It, it was did. a quick three hours. Yeah. It was a quick three hours. I thought it was going to be. And everybody was really, really nice. It super, was. Super, super nice to us. It was. Couldn't have asked for better. Honest to God, of all the meets I've done in 10 years, that was, uh, I'm being very honest when I say that was the one I've enjoyed the most. Um, so it was, it was a pleasure to meet everybody. I'm so glad so many of you came out to see us. And we have even more on the list uh, RSVP'd for our, our next party this coming Thursday. And uh, we, we're raffling some stuff off. As a matter of fact, we have. Uh, we have a name to pick. We have actually some prizes to give away as our next uh, housekeeping item. Who wants to pick the name? I do. All right, Bob. I'll let Bob. For those of you who weren't there, we had a, a raffle set up at the door. When you came in, we asked you to sign in and sign up, sign up a little piece of paper for uh, be entered into a raffle. We're going to be doing the same thing on this upcoming Thursday as well. And the winner is... And Yeah, well, actually, why don't we tell them what we raffled off? Okay. Uh, Julie put together this incredible... Store tours basket. She took. Uh, uh, she went and she picked yeah. up items from all the different stores that she's covered in her store tours segment, and put together this just incredible, incredible basket. It was so fun. <laughs> we have we we have one that we're giving away now for the December sixth meet. And we have another one we're going to give away next week. And uh, Paul in Connecticut, Paul Clark. And you know what's funny? I think I remember them. Yes, I Paul remember. Paul and Mary, I mean, because I remember saying, you just need a Peter. Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking to them for quite a while. Yeah. So, so congratulations. Congratulations, Paul. You're going to get the uh, the beautiful gift basket that Julie put together. So congratulations I'll have to contact them and get their address and things like that. And we also have some uh, prize envelope winners to, uh, to award some our- prizes to. Our email, November email winner, which was Robert Trudell, and he chose number 29 as his envelope. And he gets three days, two nights at the Swan Dolphin. Oh, wow. Yeah, very cool. And then, congratulations, um, Robert. Mandy Remo, who submitted the idea for Corey's segment. Mm-hmm. She chose number nine. And she gets a $75 Disney gift certificate. Oh, all right. Great. Cool. That's very, cool. Very cool. So, congratulations. Thanks very much, guys. And uh, Christmas has come early. Christmas has come early. <laughs> and now remember that uh, on our Christmas Day show, we are giving away a seven-night cruise to uh, one of the people whose emails we've read in the show over the last several months. So if you've gotten a T-shirt from us, if we've read your email on the air, you're in the running. So, well, thanks, everybody. And uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to the news. And uh, at this point, I'm just going to rest- uh, cover these stories because it's getting funny now. Um, after the Anaheim housing debate had appeared to come to an end, the developer who initiated the proposal has now asked the city council to reconsider its decision to exclude the low-income housing in the tourist district. God, will it ever end? It will not ever end. It will not end. Uh, SunCal's legal representatives assert that Anaheim 
is denying affordable housing to low, very low, and moderate-income families and individuals, and in doing so are violating both state and federal statutes. Um, the Disney-backed group Save Our Anaheim Resort spokeswoman Annette McCluskey stated that, quote, it looks to me like the developer is trying to manipulate the process. When are they going to get the message? Tens of thousands of people have signed petitions saying they don't want housing in the resort. Um, and one Anaheim councilwoman said many people thought this was over, but apparently SunCal doesn't think so. Yeah, SunCal wants some money somewhere down the road. Well, I, 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 I just, at this point, I think they all look like idiots. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. I let mean, SunCal's certainly not doing themselves any favors with this. Go. We're doing it. We're not doing it, you know. But let it go, SunCal. It really, and it's the ship. It's sailed. just funny at this point. It's just funny to, to. They're crazy out there. I think at this point, they're out of their minds. It's a matter of principle for them. They've lost the property. The property's been sold to somebody else. We don't know who yet. And you know, it's just a matter of them fighting the good fight. I think the ship sailed. Yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it has. I think you know that should have. I, I, I supported the project. I thought they should have done it, but you know, it's over now. It's time to let it let it die. Um. Our next story, this was funny. Um, well, not funny, but I <laughs> chuckle at it. A Pennsylvania woman is out on bail after being arrested, attempting to enter Disney World with a gun, knife, and scissors. Mary Ann Richardson, 63, of Nicholson, Pennsylvania, was visiting the theme parks with her grandchildren when the discovery was made. Uh, she was going through the bag checks, yep. going into the parks, and she was charged at that point with carrying a concealed weapon. The chamber of the silver thirty-two caliber Beretta semi-automatic handgun was empty, but there were seven live rounds in the magazine. Mrs. Richardson claimed that she traveled with the weapon and had forgotten it was in her pocketbook. And uh, Disney is, of course, saying the arrest is attributed to the increased security they have in place yeah. after 9-11. It was um, a radio report on, as I was coming here today, and they had her crying and apologizing and especially for the fact she embarrassed her daughter. Well, you line. had an unlicensed gun in your pocket. Yeah. Tough. And a knife. And a knife. Mm-hmm. What are you doing with these? And scissors. <laughs> Apparently she was going to cut someone's hair at gunpoint. In, in park scrapbooking. <laughs> She's going to scrap, <laughs> scrapbook on Main Street. <laughs> she was going to force others to scrapbook. She's going to the front li- frontier land, <laughs> shooting arcade with her gun. <laughs> Posing a picture for me now. Oh, you kidding me? I can't use mine? <laughs> I Apparently sure. she got a couple rounds off, though, before she <laughs> went there. <laughs> the chamber was empty. She was shooting at something. Oh, you have been practicing. Maybe she was deer hunting from the monorail. She might have been. <laughs> She's going on the jungle cruise. <laughs> I'm just going to see how long they're going to go. I'm just letting them go. She was auditioning for the great movie ride. <laughs> oh, Wrong <man>. park. <laughs> Uh, it just that's I, I got such a kick out of that. Regina Regina uh, forwarded me that this morning. I can't tell you how many times I've walked in the park and oh no, there's my semi-automatic weapon. Which pocket is that in? Oh. I forgot it was down at the bottom of my my pocketbook. It's like Bob, you'd probably keep yours in your boot. <laughs> at least the, the security guards found it. Sometimes when they look into these purses, it looks like they're not even looking. Just, they yeah. actually are looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah we have are. a friend who's a security guard, and she tells us that. They really are. They know well, they no, sometimes, I'm sorry, sometimes they just let me open the bag. They take a, a, a look in. Thank you very much. When I know there's stuff on the bottom they can't see. Well, I think the amazing thing is if you're st- – <laughs> just put it in your pocket. No one would ever know. How many times have you walked yeah, through Yeah, I'm the, sure she did not no intend bag? to walk into the, the park with a, <laughs> with a loaded yeah. weapon. 
but you know, but it, it was begs the question. No matter where she was, it begs the question: What are you doing? What is a sixty-three-year-old woman doing with a knife and a loaded weapon? Keeps those kids in line. Maybe yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it's it just you know. I, I mean, look, I'm, Granny's I'm, got a gun. You know, I ended. <laughs> Sorry, Julie saying that went well. <laughs> you don't know the song "Janie's Got a Gun." <laughs> yeah, I do. Well, I, I just um, uh, they're staying at Fort Wilderness. You know, I understand there's a constitutional right to bear arms, and I'm not saying anything about that. But you know, there's common sense, folks. And uh, don't bring your gun to. Magic you really don't Kingdom. need to bring your weapons to the Magic Kingdom. I don't think that really is necessary. Yeah. But um, our uh, next story, uh, we were talking about uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, last week. John and Kevin and Bob were sharing their nightmare stories, right. sailing out of Fort Lauderdale, and John had said he was hoping that Disney Cruise Line would not uh, move to Fort Lauderdale, had, as had been rumored. And it turns out we're in luck. They're staying right where they are. Uh, Disney Cruise Line will keep the magic at Port Canaveral in 2009, ending its three-year summer odyssey to distant destinations. The Disney Magic will be visiting St. Croix and Tortola on select Eastern Caribbean, Caribbean sailings in 2009. And the cruise line was recently fined $107,000 when it did not meet the mooring quota required by Port Canaveral to maintain exclusive use of the terminal located there. Disney docked to Port Canaveral only 139 times out of the 150 required, according to the agreement, and that resulted in that fine being imposed. The Disney magic being based in the Mediterranean created the shortfall. According to Tom McAlpin, Disney Cruise Line president, the $107,000 fee is a, quote, nominal amount, and the decision to remain at Port Canaveral had nothing to do with that, that it was uh, the two, that the 2009 sailings to the Caribbean were a result of guest feedback. Once Disney's contract with Port Canaveral expires in 2008, it remains renewable annually for the next 40 years. So it looks like at least for the next few years, they're going to be staying right where they are Good. and not going to Fort Lauderdale. But That's uh, just crazy. Why do they even go to Fort Lauderdale? It's like, what, a three-hour yeah. drive from... Yeah. 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 That was all blustering on their part. That was it all was. To, to negotiate more with the port. The that, logistics would be ridiculous. Yeah, the land sea packages would be right. crazy. Right. They're going to yeah. stay in Port Canaveral for a very long time. It's just they use yeah. that as a leveraging point. Once the yeah. other two ships come on board, they won't have a problem probably hitting right. that, that level. It's just getting between now and then is the time that they may have problems, and that's why they kept them in, two, in 2009. 2009. We, uh, you know, I think we should talk about the fact that we talked about the rumor that they were going to go to Alaska this summer. That was a rumor we had heard, and that had gotten out on the boards, and there was a lot of frenzy about that. Um, my personal opinion is that I think that they're going to go to Alaska with the new ships. That's part of what we heard and where, where that got sort of misconstrued. But I also think that these itineraries were not finalized until very recently. I also think they were a little miffed because last year everything was released before they did. Everybody knew everything before they released it. By the time they were finally released the information, it was like, yeah, we already know that. Come on, get with the program. They, and this year, I think they released misinformation or leaked misinformation to keep everybody off track. Last year, we had people looking up information at the ports in the Mediterranean to see when the ships were going to be docked there. They had the whole itinerary down before Disney ever released it. They it, kept everything pretty quiet this time. And this is the dumbest business decision I've ever yeah, come across I, in my I, life. This is, right. this is a boneheaded move, that, what they're doing with the 2009 sailings. We're going to go into that. Uh, in a little bit more depth, I think, uh, a little later on in the show. I don't want to spend too much time talking about that now. But, uh, yeah, 2009 sailings on Disney Cruise Line have uh, were, were received with a very loud thud uh, on our boards. So, But uh, they are going to be staying at least in Port Canaveral uh, for the time being. We'll have at least one of our ships here. So, 
And that's going to do it for the news this week, folks. We're going to go ahead and move on to our rapid-fire segment. And who would like to go first? I'll go. Mine are, mine are very rapid. Whoa. Uh, you believe wow. that? Wow. <laughs> wow. What'd you give him for lunch? A hamburger? Uh, <laughs> uh, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party is sold out on uh, December 21st and also December 11th. But by the time everybody hears this, too late. Old news. Also, the... Uh, <laughs> so sad. <laughs> too sad. So sad. The Food and Wine Festival dates have been released for 2008, September 26th through November 9th. Um, only 290 days away. <laughs> That's wow. it. Told you it was rapid. Wow. He has a construction paper chain. We tear off one every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. No. What does that mean? <laughs> kids count down to Christmas. They, oh. they make it's the chain out of construction paper. <laughs> Can you imagine if we had 290? <laughs> that would be funny. Kevin was reviewing restaurants as a child. <laughs> He was writing restaurant reviews and crayon on construction paper. I reviewed mom's. <laughs> the potatoes were dry. <laughs> Dessert was good. Really? Thank you, Corey. Kevin. I am rapid fireless today. I just don't have one. Oh, wow. Really? I don't. Are I you feel, done? Now I feel really bad because I don't uh, have one either. Well, I was going to give him one of mine. I'll give him one of mine. Corey took I have some extra ones. I have some rehabs. flooding in now. <laughs> They were all hoarding them. Well, usually John brings about 10. <laughs> you stole the one I was going to give him. Yeah, it's uh, true. John always does come yeah. with extra. I have two, so we can we can discuss. Uh, I have one from Disney Vacation Club. We talked about how they're going to be they're offering to the old Key West owners the extension, a uh, 15-year extension on their contracts. Instead of uh, the, the contracts expiring in 2042, they have the option of paying $15 per point, and they're going to expire in 2057. Well, they've just sent out another piece of paper that says they are going to offer a zero, oh, we'll get this right, no interest, no payments until March 1st of 2009 hmm. for folks who take advantage of this offer. Wow. You have to finance through Disney Vacation Club. Uh, they require 10% down, and they have different rates based on the length of the loan. So you can take anything out from a one-year loan to, I think, a 10-year loan, and that's going to depend on the rate that you get. So... They really, really want you to take this offer. Yeah, they really do. Why? Why is why the uh, the big push to add these fifteen years on? Because I think it's you know what else are they going to do with that property? Yeah. Well, it's fifteen more years. They push it out. Right. Well, you does know, it, it's certainly it's it's not a bad deal. You know, it, it's it's one of those things I keep going back and forth on. Is it worth it? Isn't it worth it? Should I do it? I'm not sure. Well, you know, maybe this is the reason they they're throwing club. that zero percent out there because there's so many people that. Can't, are still on the fence or haven't jumped at it? I yet. think yeah. I think they're they're I putting think, more and more enticements out there. Here's something else now that might get people to jump on this because I don't think all those many people jumped on it to begin with. I'll say something interesting. They sent out a letter, and in the letter, it's kind of like you know, why should I extend and blah 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 blah. They had to put an interesting paragraph in here. Uh, let me just try to read it to you real quick. How might this extension enhance the value of my membership? Members are finding this to be a cost savings on future vacations. Using 250 vacation points as an example, and under the proposed terms, your cost to extend would be $3,750, not including the annual dues. That is the equivalent of 45 weeks in studio accommodations over the course of 15 years. By comparison today... A single week rental in a studio at Disney's Old Key West Resort would cost one thousand eight hundred and eighty three dollars. 
So what they're saying is, look at the value you're going to get mm. just by extending 15 years. Well, I mean, I, I've always thought it was a good value. I mean, if you come to Disney on a regular basis, if you're down here twice a year, DVC is an incredible value. We will be 96 and staying yeah, at Old Key West. Say, yeah. that's, I think that's going to be where we retire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's where we're going to be staying. Your so retirement as, home. You know, as far as, as far as I think, you know, within reason, any money you can invest in DVC. If you're a Disney fan and you're going to come down for a while, it, it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. I can't, you know, I have nothing bad to say about them. The question with this extension is, again, you know, how old will we be? Will we get use out of it? Will it have any kind of value? Um, we don't have anybody to will it to, so maybe one podcast will be giving away the rest of our DVC membership. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 2047. If you, have, if you have children, tell them to be nice to us. <laughs> exactly. So that's interesting. Um, the second thing I found is, have you guys been following the stories on the Flamingo Crossing? The area of Disney yes, they're building. Yeah, yeah. They're just now opening. This is the area they're building over at um, the west side. This is the outsourced expansion area right. on Disney Westwood property. Westwood Way. That's it's called Flamingo Crossing. Uh-huh. Flamingo Western, Crossing. Yeah. Western Beltway, and it's going to be called Flamingo Crossing. I know. It's Not <laughs> one flamingo crosses, crosses that road, though. And the, the, the importance <laughs> of this project, the yep. significance of this project, is that this is the first time that Disney has sold off, sold off actually sold off chunks of their property to other companies. Uh, in order to develop uh, hotels and restaurants. So this is the ultimate in outsourcing. And it even goes even further than that. Um, beginning in late November, they've actually started selling individual land. So you can purchase a piece of land if you want to open a business over there. Yeah. So you can have your own business, have your own. And you will also get a vote in Reedy Creek Improvement right. District. Yep. Which I that, That's the stunning part of this, is well, that... Disney, I mean, for those who aren't familiar with Reedy Creek, um, when Walt Disney negotiated the land uh, that he bought here uh, with the state of Florida, one of the deals, one of the concessions he was able to get in order to build all this stuff was that the government kind of gave him a a little zoning district of his own called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. It's a quasi-governmental agency, and it's run, effectively, it's run by Disney, and they get to zone all their own projects, which is why... When, uh, when, you know, MGM Studios started building long after Universal broke ground, but it finished long before because they didn't have to go through the zoning nightmares that Universal did. So this has been an enormous boon for Disney. And the Reedy Creek Improvement District has always been controlled completely by Disney. But now that they're actually selling off parcels uh, within the district, um, these, these, peop- these, these companies who are buying this, this space are actually going to have a vote. I just hate that. I hate that they're selling their land off. The thing with that is it... They're going to regret it? No, because Disney holds so many shares... Right, I realize it won't have... It'll never affect anything. I realize it won't have a major effect, but I think just the fact that they're doing it, whether or not these businesses will be able to affect policy on Disney property isn't the point. The fact that they're doing it, that that the outsourcing now has gone to this almost cellular level within the organization and that this is how the business is going to go and this is the wave of the future as long as these folks are in charge this is the wave of the future and i want to see what they're going to open up because i'm telling you if they open up some disneyfied strip mall over there they're going to be taken out for a walk by all of us i saw some conceptual drawings of it and it's it's pretty touristy looking i mean basically the whole idea is that it's going to be pink flamingos and you know uh Florida coloreds 
color houses and things like that over there. But it's 450 acres, and it's has it's going to include 4,000 to 5,000 low to mid rise value price lodging units. That's a lot. It is. Do you think Walt's rolling around in his grave right now? I think it's weird that on the other side of the property they're building a Waldorf Astoria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's dichotomy, right? I mean, giving these people a, a vote also gives them a voice. Yeah, you know, and, and folks, let me ask you a question. What would you rather have built on Disney property, a new Disney resort by Disney Imagineers or a Waldorf Astoria? I mean, come on. Or a day's in. Or a day's in. And this is what we're looking at here. This is what's going to happen. And I, I think this is... I think it's been proven that things like um, this don't... There's not, People don't seem to want to venture out and support that. At one time, the Crossroads was a booming little shopping area. If you go through there now, there's a lot of vacancies. You know that the Crossroads, Crossroads was once owned by Disney. Right. They had purchased that land out there. Right. And the same it's thing with sold. Celebration. Celebration was once owned by Disney. And this was going to be another tourist destination as, opposed, as well as a neighborhood. And while it is in a small part, it's never what they expected. And Disney sold it off. Disney doesn't own Celebration anymore. Right. So I think to myself... This is, How many times do you have to run into the same brick wall before you learn a lesson? Right. It, to me, it's just... It seems kind of silly. You know when, when it's going to happen? When they have so thoroughly gutted the things that made them great by outsourcing everything to anybody with enough money to pony up. When they have gutted it so badly that people won't support it anymore and their numbers start dropping like a rock. Then and only then will they have, they'll have to revisit their business from the ground up. But everything they're doing, the homogenization of the theme parks, the outsourcing of this stuff... The way they've been treating the unions, although the unions got, got them back pretty good, I think, this last time. You know, these things are going to come home to roost, folks. They're going to come home to roost at some point, and I'm going to be sitting here eating popcorn and enjoying every minute of it when it happens. That's, don't get me on the outsourcing. <laughs> should not have started that up. Sorry. I, I just, you know, Disney does it well. Disney really does it better than anybody else. Nobody builds a hotel like they do. Nobody does it the way they do. And the fact that they're just... Just just pushing this out to other people. I, I'm sorry. It's just crap. And like I said, you're going to have individual uh, people opening individual businesses. So what's going to happen when, not that there's anything against this type of business, but it's like a tattoo parlor wants to open up. <laughs> yeah. Right? And there, you know, or there's something else over Get there. Cruella de Vil on your arm. Exactly. Or something over there that doesn't fit with the quote-unquote Disney feel of, of the resort area. I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. see. I thought they were going to uh, take and unincorporate them from there and give them back to uh, Orange County. And that's what we had read somewhere. Originally, yeah, I think that's I had read that as well. And uh, I guess they went back on that and decided they want to keep it under their control rather than let Orange County in on it. They may keep it under um, Reedy Creek until it's done being built. And at that point, they may, may sell it off and it, give it yes. to somebody. Say control what they do with it. Okay. Yeah, possibly. Well, we'll see. That's it. That's it. Bob? I have Kevin's Rapid Fire. Uh, June Park Hours have been released uh, this past week. It's amazing. I didn't even know that was mine. Yep, that was yours. <laughs> Keeping it rapid. Uh, my Rapid Fire is uh, the Macy's Parade, parade started uh, last Friday, uh, December 7th, and I was over there 
And Where was it, Bob? It was over at Universal. Okay, I think we might want to tell people. Okay. That the Macy's parade started last week and where it was. Where it was at Universal. <laughs> I flew to New York. And, uh, <laughs> it was early. Macy's. And the Grinchmas, uh, the Grinch, Grinchmas uh, returned to Islands of Adventure uh, the same day. Mm-hmm. And I was over at Islands of Adventure to see that. That was a pretty cool show. Uh, I did shoot some video of that that mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get to you so we can put it up there. But they they did a good job of of that. So, uh, and the parade was okay. How many floats do they have? Don't mean to put you on the spot. Uh, it's probably about ten or twelve balloons, maybe. Cool. Maybe. They're not the giant balloons, though, are they? Uh, the biggest one there was the candy cane. Yeah, they're not the really big ones. Yeah, yeah they can't. They, they don't have the. They had a few of them. They have a few that. In an area, as you go down on the left-hand side, as you come in, there's a few of them all anchored. Right, they're and, tied down. Yeah, those are, um, uh, oh, God, Snoopy, Snoopy and the little Tweety Woodstock. Bird. Woodstock, yeah. It's sitting on top of a uh, doghouse, and there were a few others that were. It's like playing fill in the blank. Julie lights <laughs> up. She like, lights up. It's like Mad she, Libs. She it really is. It's like Mad Libs. <laughs> so, and you then, have a verb, a noun, and an adjective. And you know, and this little <laughs> park area is, uh, they have the history of uh, the, hot, the Macy's Parade. So uh, that was pretty cool. Mm. We watched the Macy's Parade this year. It was yeah. dull as dirt. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> it was really bad. So it's, it's neat to watch how the... They actually move them around the streets. I mean, the day I was there, it was not a very windy day. So I'd be interested to see how they handle the balloons on a windy day because they had quite a few people underneath holding the balloons up. I can just see people now floating over Universal. Well, they do it in New York City. I mean, up Central Park West or down Central Park West. So I think they've probably got it under control. Well, yeah. They're probably good at it at this point. But I'm sure they don't bring all those people down here, though, to do that. Oh. So the Florida people might not be quite as trained. <laughs> Pay us by minimum wage. Hold, the, hold this balloon. Because <laughs> they, they actually had extra people standing by to, like, jump in. And I thought it was really... <laughs> Someone with a really blow dart people. ready to take the balloon down. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting out of the way. That grandmother should get a job. <laughs> you, that's you know, what the gun was Gunpacking granny goes to Universal and blows up the balloons. Yeah, that's what she was there for, to throw the knives at the balloons. Uh, one of the interesting things on the parade was, like the right after the first balloon, these two uh, EVC vehicles decorated came right down the street as part of the parade. I said, how come I didn't get a call? <laughs> But they were just driving yeah. along. Because not everything the, 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 is about you, Bob. I know, I know, I know. I, I realize <laughs> that. The wonder that is you has not reached over to Universal yet, apparently, Bob. They're just not aware of you well, yet. Well, I had my so. lights on the cot and everything. You know the little T-shirt they sell in the girls' department at any Disney store that says, it's all about me? With Tinkerbell. <laughs> you think we could find one in, like, super extra large for <laughs> Hey, hey, I don't take super extra large. <laughs> in a child size, you would. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So, um... One more rapid fire. The oh. shuttle. <laughs> Why not? You're on a roll. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, the shuttle didn't launch on the 6th like we had had it planned. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go off this weekend because they had some fueling problems. They pushed it back to January 2nd. So 
anyone that's coming down for the holiday season might have a shot at it during that time if they can figure out how to fuel the thing and make sure it says it's full instead of empty. And we had the entire podcast meet out in the parking lot, the far end of the parking lot. We had them up in the. We had <laughs> them up down, in the. What? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> That's not fair, and we had a discussion about this at the pod pod meet uh, about if you're standing up beside the building and I'm standing back in the far side of the parking lot, I'm going to see the shuttle for at least an extra 30 or 40 seconds. Well, if you're stupid enough to stand next to the building, you don't deserve to see it. Well, that's why you There's have to go to the in your way. But that's why you have to go to the far side of the parking lot. I don't see it. Well, I just I think I it. just think it's kind of implied that most people would look for the clearest field of vision when looking for something like that. But maybe in your world that that doesn't happen. And I don't no know. No matter where you go, it's a feat easily accomplished by glancing up. Yeah, but <laughs> oh, look, there it is. It's flying. Yeah, into but there space. it is for less time than. Uh, yeah, if you're up against, the, I know the you'll building. see so much more. You'll see so much more. It's so much in that different. A few seconds. Why? It's only there for like 45 seconds if you miss 30 of it. What's if you're standing next to the building, you don't get to de- you don't deserve to see like it. Beating my head against the wall. Okay, that's uh, it. All right, Bob, thank you. Uh, I was going to call you Corey. Julie. That's fine. I answered that too. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a rapid fire. It's the Orlando Christmas Parade. It's this Saturday, December 15th in downtown Orlando. This year's theme is the Hollywood Road Show. It'll feature poinsettia-adorned floats, and it's also going to feature celebrities from television and the music industry, plus 87 extra entries, and that also includes 12 out-of-state marching bands. So it sounds like a pretty big parade. I mean, you know, sounds like a lot of fun. What celebrity is coming? That's who it'll be. I don't, yeah, it'll know. Be <laughs> I don't know what celebrities people. Like, oh. I'd be like, in the celebrity world, they cart him out for everything. We found him in, in Two J's Deli one time by Arugula. <laughs> okay, you guys are not hijacking my rapid fire. <laughs> Sorry, it's already Sorry. done. So. It's going to start out with at the fourth annual Jingle Bell Walk and Dog Jog. This is where... What? Yeah, just please listen. Okay. <laughs> oh, my. I'm going to have to get a whip or something in here. <laughs> so, oh, my. <laughs> so participants and, and their canines can jingle jangle their way down the one and a half mile parade route from 1030 to 1130. And this, act, this part of the parade actually benefits local charities. And prizes are awarded to the best costumes in this part of the parade. And then um, there's also a poinsettia festival that starts at 9 a.m. in the Lake Eola Park, which this lasts actually till 4. But it's something to do before the parade, which isn't till um, after the little dog walk at 1130. And it lasts for two hours, the do parade. They, do they wow. walk the poinsettias too? Yeah, um, the Everything's decorated with poinsettias. Now, now, folks, if you if you've come to Orlando a few times and, and you've never been into downtown, this particular section of downtown. Um, and you want an experience that's a little different and a little more authentic in terms of you know what locals do, mm-hmm. this is a great place. Lake Eola is a great place. to they, they do some really cool stuff all year around Lake Eola. And uh, there are a lot of really good, especially right there on Central yep. and Summerlin, yeah. there are some fantastic restaurants, some cute boutique stores. We had sushi there the other day. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it's can highly recommend any time you can spend in, in that area downtown. It, it can be a lot of fun. I also want to say the festival is only one day, and they have sponsor booths and artists, you know, of course, and the national and local entertainment. You can buy poinsettia and citrus baskets here as well. And then if you want more information, it's uh, orlandochristmasparade.com. And when is that? What day? This Saturday. This coming Saturday? Mm-hmm. Everything starts at 9 a.m. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Julie. 
And that'll do it for uh, our rapid fire for this week. And uh, we're going to move on and have a discussion about uh, Disney Cruise Line's 2009 sailings that were released on December 4th to, uh, like I said, with a, the sound, I think, that was heard on the boards was a big thud when these were uh, announced. Uh, as we mentioned in the news story earlier, Disney Cruise Line is saying that their decision to make only some minor changes to the itineraries in 2009 was a result of guest feedback. I, I wonder how honest that is. But uh, for those who haven't been following over the last few years, um, Disney Cruise Line has been doing a lot of specialty cruises every year. Um, three, I think three years ago we had our first West Coast cruise, which was a huge success. Um, and then, um, well, actually, that's when they started selling them. Um, I think the first West Coast cruise went out when? 2005. 2005. And then we had the Mediterranean cruise. No, uh, I'm sorry, 2006. 2006. We had the Mediterranean cruise this year 2007. in 2007. And uh, in 2008, there's another series of West, there's another West Coast cruise. And so for 2009, a lot of people were expecting, we we, we heard Alaska, we heard different things, and it turns out they're just going to do their, basically their same seven-night eastern-western itinerary, with the exception of on occasional sailings, they'll be replacing uh, St. Martin with... Yeah, uh, St. Thomas. Oh, St. Thomas is getting replaced? Mm -hmm. I thought it was St. Martin. No, it's St. Martin. St. Martin's going to be replaced. I'm sorry, you're right. I'm a mistake. As I was going to say, that would be that would be absolute insanity. Um, St. Martin being replaced with Grand Tortola on some sailings and St. Croix on others. And uh, like I said, been received with a really big thud. Uh, not just that the itineraries aren't very exciting, but that they've raised the prices quite a bit uh, from what we've seen. We've been um, to St. Croix. There's not much there. I don't. I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, I don't know if they're going to build a whole thing for Disney or something like that. My understanding about Saint Croix is that it's really a tourist destination where people go and spend like a week or two weeks. It's a beach vacation. It's um, a snorkeling vacation, but it's really not a huge shopping area or shopping destination like some of the other ports. So it's all very, very odd. These are very odd choices. It looks like they made these decisions fairly quickly. That they weren't. I don't know how well thought out these were. That that's what I started to say before. Was it sounds almost like they had other things planned and they didn't come together. So this is what we're going to do. And why is Tom McAlpin saying things like we got this on guest feedback? I mean, come on, you're going to go on our boards and you're going to see what your guest feedback is. And you know, maybe that's not the feedback from, you know, non insane people. But the backbone of your business is are these folks who are going, you know, like us, go, will go three or four times on the cruise. And these are the people you have to keep happy with these special itineraries because we can only go to the Caribbean so many times before we're fed up with it. Right. And, I mean, look, I love the Caribbean, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't had my fill of the Caribbean yet. I could definitely do it a few more times. But I understand some of these folks that are going to twice a year. They love Disney Cruise Line. They, they, they consider the ship a destination. But after a while, when you only have two ships and you're only singing the same song over and over again, it gets old. You've got to switch it up. And Disney was very smart in how they've done that 
Uh, they've, they've come up with some great itineraries. The West Coast cruises were very successful. Mediterranean cruises were a huge success. But I, I this just baffles me. Also, one of their most popular cruises was the uh, addition of the what we call the double dip or the special western itinerary cruise where the uh, Disney Magic goes to Castaway Key twice in a sailing. And there's only one of those in 2009. Yeah. I don't know why they would do that. Castaway Key is quote unquote a free stop for them. Yeah. You know, they don't have to pay any port charges or anything for that and it's more money in their pocket. It's also a real magnet and people, people love, love it. it. So, so going there twice makes more sense than... And it's at the end of 2009. It's like November 14th. Let me see if I can find it. It is November 14th. Yep, right. It's November 14th. is the only sailing in 2009 doing that double dip. It's all very, very odd. It's just all very strange. And these are strange destinations to pick. Well, you know, I, I, I can appreciate that Disney Cruise Line has some business concerns that other cruise lines don't have. They only have two ships. They have no casino. So, and you know, like any business, it, it, they they have to show growth every year. And you know, the number of options they have to grow their their revenue, their bottom line every year, when you're only working with the same two ships, is limited. Which is why I thought these special itineraries, which played to their highest affinity group, the people with all the money, the people that are willing to dump all their money onto those ships, was brilliant marketing, and it worked well. Why did you stop? Well, the other thing is, the, the, the past specialty cruises, we watched the prices on the day of release go up minute by minute. People were so excited about these specialty cruises that because Disney uses tier pricing, we would watch the tiers change within 10 minutes. Somebody books 10 minutes later, they're paying more than the person that booked 10 minutes before. This one met with kind of a... Yeah. Okay. So what? Yeah. Do you think they weren't as successful in the Mediterranean? It's, well, the transatlantic, right? Not. Right. The transatlantic cruises were a bust. They were pretty much giving those away to anybody, you know. Yeah, but they, you know, people who wanted to migrate from <laughs> Europe to the United <laughs> yeah. States are coming on our Illegal ship, immigrants. escaping the potato famine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the people who were doing those actual West, uh, those um, Mediterranean cruises, those ships were full. Yeah, and they were popular. I mean, they were just crazy. <laughs> People were like, <laughs> I cracked myself up. <laughs> it's good. We entertain. Uh, I mean, they could have done a Panama Canal. Just uh, if they really want to be successful in summer of two thousand nine, they'll just keep taking that boat back and forth through the Panama Canal. <laughs> yeah, really. you would have got your Port Canaveral. Uh, minimum met because uh-huh. you could just do it for two weeks at a time. Just keep moving it back and forth through the canal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even when they go to St. Croix, they're only there from 7.30 in the morning to 5.30 in the afternoon. That's enough. That's more than enough. And the other one, they're there from uh, Tortola? Grand Tortola. Yeah. They're there from 7.30 in the morning to 8.30 at night, so there must be something else going on there. I've never been there, so I can't tell you. Maybe there's a casino. <laughs> Be the other thing, get me off the ship. A <laughs> um, couple other pieces of information. Well, we know the Wonder is going to be doing its normal three and four night schedule as well, and uh, land sea packages as well. The Wonder is going to be in dry dock September sixth through September twenty sixth. Hmm. That's a really long dry dock. That is three weeks. So, are we hearing anything? Well, I hate to keep saying this because people think we're nuts, but I think that this is where we're going to see those retrofits for other types of types of cruises. Bob mentioned that. One of the problems with taking the current ships to Alaska is there's no covering in the upper decks. 
So you can't take it through sort of the cooler areas and not close off, say, a pool area. Right. So that's sort of the speculation. But should be interesting. Who knows at this point? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we had to talk about the whole idea of how they don't release it until the actual day. And, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me from a business standpoint. Why wouldn't you put that information out there weeks ahead of time, let people talk to their families, get excited about it, get prepared to to make these reservations when they're available to book, instead of the last minute having everybody scramble to, oh, I thought we were going to go here or I thought we were going to go there, but now we have to figure out where we're going to go on the cruise. No, I maybe they tried to avoid that every ten minutes the price going up thing. But that's good for them, <laughs> you know. That makes yeah, them it, more it, money. It, it, it may be good for them in the in in that sense, but as far as a customer looking at it, it may not be the same. However, well, if they you know what I mean. However, yeah, I mean, if they did that and they released something special like Alaska or another Pan- Panama Canal cruise, you would have been in the same situation, only worse, because you would have had all this. I, if it's going to go here, I want to do that. Someone would have got a price. Someone would have held a reservation, forcing more inventory to be taken, forcing the price to go up. Yeah. And then people who really want it, then later canceling because it wasn't what they wanted, the people who really want it are paying more than they should have. So it's not going to change the fact that that's going to happen no matter what on a special cruise. Yeah. I booked one person four times. She was sure that she had heard this itinerary and that itinerary, and she booked four different reservations based on what might happen. Hmm. So then I had to call back and cancel a couple of them and move one of them around because none of that did happen. Yeah. So I, I, it seems you're doing the same thing then. You're, as John said, you're just taking up space, only now we just took up space unnecessarily. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, I... I I'm sure there are aspects of the business decision that, you know, obviously we're not privy to. Um, they really should call us. They really should. They should consult <laughs> with us. But, you know, from a, from a fan standpoint, from, a, from a, a, a passenger standpoint, I'm really disappointed with the 2009 You're not itinerary. excited about going to Tortola? No, not at all. Hmm. Not at all. Um, I just, you know, look, I get excited any time I go on the Disney ship. On either of the ships, I mean, I've I've said it multiple times before. I'm sure I'll say it many times again. Um, I'm a huge fan of Disney Cruise Line. I think they have the most superior product in Disney's entire family of, of products. I think it is the best run. I think it is the best maintained. I think it is the best considered. I think it uh, is the product that takes the needs and the desires of its uh, its guests into account in every decision they make on the ship which is why this just seems like it's out of left field because this is just so – to me, it just seems so out of character um, that, I mean, they have done great. They have been feeding red meat to the lions for, for a couple of years now with these specialty cruises, and it's been terrific. People love them. It's exciting people about the product. It's keeping the product fresh. And, yeah, these are a lot of money. I mean, that's the one thing that um, uh, Tracy Whipple had mentioned to me at the podcast meet when we were talking about this, and uh, – she had mentioned that, you know, the one good thing is that for those people who have been doing all these specialty cruises every year, this does give them a little bit of a break financially. Because, However, the price on these is much higher than it is for, for the, any previous year's Eastern or Western itinerary. Let's talk a little bit about the pricing we're seeing. I, I apologize. I didn't bring any specific examples in front of me, but I know for a fact that we looked at someone who travels 
every year around the same time, and we're talking about a thousand dollar difference. Wow! Between a two thousand eight and a two thousand nine. Now that's a obviously that's not summer and anything like that. And I don't know if it specifically has to do with these ports of call or it has to do with that's how Disney's going to pass now the increased fuel charge to people. But we're seeing a, a big difference between. 2009 and previous Eastern Western itinerary pricing. Yeah. On a much smaller level, we're also seeing something else that's different. We're getting Category 12 uh, with stateroom assignments, as opposed to Category 12 being put into guarantee. You want to maybe explain to those people who may not know what those terms mean? Category 12 is the least expensive stateroom on the ship, and up until recent, or up until 2008, they will only accommodate three people. It's my understanding that they're retrofitting. Category 12 staterooms to accommodate four people. So what happened was people would book the least expensive category stateroom knowing that they would get an upgrade. If you book four people into a Category 12 stateroom, you are automatically guaranteed at least a one-level increase to Category 11 because the Category 12s don't sleep four people. And now apparently they're going to put in a bunk or something, I guess, or a big chair. Put a hammock in. Really? Two hooks. Now we are getting actual category or category twelve assignments for four people. For four people. That's in two thousand nine. Right. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, uh, like I said, it's you know the the pricing I can. The pricing I can almost forgive them because, like I said, it is. It's not like you're 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 wasting money. This is a very this is a great quality product. It really is. So I, the pricing, while it can be annoying, I can forgive them that. But not doing something with a specialty cruise this year, I think, was was very, very disappointing to a lot of us. And um, hoping they correct it with the next any major announcements they make next time, that they don't uh, they don't just keep feeding us the same uh, the same the same meal. Well, next time is 2010, and that's when yeah. we should see one of the new ships. So, is it uh, 2010 or 2011 for the new sh- the first new ship? I heard 2010 and 2011. That's when they release them. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going to start and if the first one was a, uh, in ten or eleven, but yeah, let's let's see. No, we'll... there's no wait list as of yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure the question comes in a lot. I'm sure the question comes in. I wonder when they are going to open that up for a wait listing. Yep. The day yeah. they go on sale, probably. Yeah, because that's how they're doing things these days. <laughs> well, that's uh, interesting. I'm, I'll be interesting interested to see how. Uh, how how many discounts come up on these 2009 cruises over the next uh, 18 months? So, all right, that'll do it for our discussion of uh, Disney Cruise Line's 2009 sailings. We're going to move on. Kevin Close has a review for us of his recent experience at Wolfgang Puck. Now, during the, uh, during the podcast meet on uh, December 6th, one of our listeners was, I was chatting with one of our listeners who had mentioned she had, been to Wolfgang Puck and did not have a very good experience. So when Kevin asked me where I wanted him to go next, I said, why don't you go over to Wolfgang Puck this weekend see how it is. So here's Kevin's review. How, how was it? It's a little confusing. First of all, there are um, four Wolfgang Pucks. There's two Wolfgang Puck Expresses. There's a one in the marketplace near the Days of Christmas store that Julie just reviewed. And there's one across from Virgin Megastore on the west side. Next to the one on the west side is the Wolfgang Puck Cafe. And then upstairs from that is just Wolfgang Puck. So That's pretty we, clear. Yeah. We ate in the cafe. We made a reservation for 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. 
We, in the meantime, because of the podcast meet, we picked up another person along the way. One of our, um, the Dreams Unlimited travel agents is in town. So we invited her to join us for dinner. We got to the restaurant and we approached the podium and said, listen, we've gone from four people to five people. Is that an issue? And they said, I guess not. Now, there were four of them, which I've referred to as the tribunal. And the four of them stood there looking at us like, Uh-oh, this isn't going to go yeah. good. So the, we finally, they, they, the four of them shuffled papers and sucked their teeth and rolled their eyes and handed a little slip of paper to a cedar because they need another person to do this. And I assume he was mute. He never spoke the entire time. He just kept making hand gestures. Now, Wolfgang Puck is a fairly new building. It's not that old. And I cannot believe that anybody in the state of Florida believes that this building meets handicapped accessibility standards. If you're pushing someone in a wheelchair, you have to go behind the dessert counter through the kitchen. You have to duck so you don't hit your head on the stairs. You literally have to bend down to go under the stairs and then down into the dining room. You're kidding. No. So we were shown to our table, and the table that we were shown to was still a table for four. That was pushed up against a wall, and they had fit a chair in between the table and the wall. Now, I don't... Julie's the smallest person in the world. I was about to say, basically it was a space for me. And you wouldn't have fit. (laughs) So I said to the man, who wasn't speaking at this time, is it okay if we move to a bigger table? We're not going to fit at this table. Plus, we had a wheelchair. And this table... The restaurant, there were four tables full. The table that we had, that they offered us, was wedged between two other parties. So we really couldn't pull the chairs out far enough. And they they expected my mom, who sits in the wheelchair, to sit in the aisle. And she said, well, now you're going to block everything else off. Now, have you ever been in Wolfgang Puck? It's a big space. Yeah, it is. There were four tables mm-hmm. full. So I asked Mute Boy if we could have a bigger table. To which he whispered, I'm going to have to talk to people. (laughs) Okay. I'll go with you. I'm a better talker than you are. I'm almost positive. (laughs) So we go over and the manager says, he introduced himself as the manager. Well, I've put you at a specific table that we chose just for you. I said, well, you didn't do a very good job. It's not big enough. We need to sit at a bigger table. This is a table for four, and we have five people, and none of us are in the skinny range. So he says to me, and I'm not lying, he says, well, you're the one who made the reservation for four. You should decide how many people you're going to be bringing with you. Unbelievable. I, I, I tried very nicely to explain to him that his restaurant was empty and that we could pretty much have our pick of tables and still be okay. It was empty? There were four tables filled, Bob. Oh, Pay attention. That. I'm sorry. Um, oh my god Four tables So I, I tried to explain that we needed a bigger table He explained to me that all of those tables were reserved for other people <laughs> I'm so glad yeah, I wasn't with sure, you I might have attacked And the line was out the door waiting for the seat then, right? No No, no it was 4.30 in the afternoon Oh my god So I won't tell you what I told him he could do with his table It's not repeatable here <laughs> And I told him I was leaving and he told me, that's okay, fine. I was shocked at the behavior. Shocked at his behavior. My mom, who has a much cooler head than the rest of us, talked to him. You had asked us to do this. She recognized that fact. 
And she went over and said to him, do you not want us to have a bigger table because I'm in a wheelchair? <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> oh, gonna... my God. Yeah, You're she's, kidding. No, she's fearless. Oh, I uh, love her. And he said, well, that's really not the problem. The problem is you want a table for six and you're only a party of five. And my mom looked around the restaurant and she said, we're your only party of five. <laughs> <laughs> and he finally agreed that we could have his coveted table for six. Now, we were there for about two hours, and in the two hours, the restaurant did get more crowded. However, John kept his eye on two tables of six that were never sat in the two hours we were there. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like he had run out of tables mm -hmm. for six. It, it was just, it colored the entire experience. The whole thing was, I, I sat there the entire time thinking, well, now you better impress me. Because you know what? So far, I haven't been impressed. I, I think this is highly pretentious. This is not Manhattan. This is not Los Angeles. This is not Miami. This is downtown Disney. Yeah. They're serving pizza. Exactly. <laughs> and overpriced pizza at that. Way overpriced pizza. And to have this sort of level of pretentiousness is just ridiculous. Wolfgang Puck doesn't even own these restaurants anymore. I mean, trading on somebody's celebrity name doesn't make it a good restaurant. And it certainly doesn't mean you should be, be mistreating people who's the owner i don't know who they sold it to but it's uh landry's now is it okay this was a whole lot of pretension for no good reason so usually my restaurant reviews spend a lot more time on the food i found the food to be ridiculously overpriced we um started out with a couple of appetizers i had a sushi special which was a spicy, crunchy tuna roll. And apparently I wasn't paying attention. Our our server explained that this was her first week. I have never heard of such a thing. I got a spicy, crunchy tuna roll with roast beef on top of it. Huh? What? I swear. There was roast beef on top of my spicy, crunchy tuna roll. That was $15. We also ordered uh, the Asian-style vegetable spring rolls. These are the same egg rolls that you get for a buck in the local Chinese place. <laughs> they were sliced on a diagonal, and there were two of them, and they were eleven ninety five. I'm sorry, nine ninety five. We got something called truffle Maytag blue kettle chips. They're just it, chips, right? They're, they're potato chips made in a Maytag. But they were ocean. really good, though. They were good. They were, they were covered good. with blue cheese dressing and sprinkled with blue cheese and truffle oil. Mm. Okay. However, it's potato chips for ten. You bucks. can put anything. You can put blue cheese on anything. You could use ruffles, and that'd be good. It's <laughs> like bacon, you know. Put yeah, bacon on anything, it's good. My mom got a butternut squash soup for six ninety five. It That's was one of the only things in the entire meal that I did not think was a complete and utter ripoff. We've had that there. And my dad ordered a margarita pizza. Which is a really fancy title for a cheese pizza. Mm -hmm. And we're talking a kid's size cheese pizza. The size of a like a, a luncheon plate. Nine inch dinner plate. Uh, yeah. Six inch. Eleven ninety five. Wow. I can go to my local pizza place and get a, On Tuesdays we get two of them for two of them. Two for Tuesdays. Now I understand it's Disney. It's the West Side. It's really overpriced. And especially after you've put up with a pretentious nitwit. We ordered appetizer, or I'm sorry, we ordered entrees. We had a, John had a special, it was the flat iron steak, and he described it as okay, but flavorless. Flavorless. It was tender and juicy, but it had no flavor whatsoever. It was just meat. It could have been tofu. <laughs> it was just. <laughs> it might have been. It might have been. 
Two of the people in our party had the meatloaf and both described it as okay, but with a weird texture. Now, this is meatloaf made with pork ve- pork and veal. That's the t- strange texture. There. As But it doesn't have beef in it. So it's kind of a, you know, when I think of meatloaf, I basically think it's a big hamburger. Yeah. yeah. Wolfgang Puck puts in puts pork and veal in his and garlic mashed potatoes. One of the the only entree that was actually successful was the um, where is it? Hang on, the whole roasted chicken. They literally brought you out a whole roasted chicken sitting on top of a pile of mashed potatoes. Like it the would, one you get at Publix, pretty much the rotisserie, and it would have easily served three or four people. That was really successful. As a matter of fact, um, it did serve three or four people because I ordered something called the spicy chicken penne. Now, I really like spicy food. Do you guys like spicy food? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know when you like spicy food, you like the flavor of the spicy, but you still want to taste the food? Mm. And this was one of those things that was hot and only hot. There was no uh, Tammy said to me, how is it? And I said, it's hot and bland all at the same time. She said, how can something hot be bland? I said, go ahead and try a bite of it. And she went, you're right. Mm-hmm. All it is is hot. It was one of those things where they had added enough heat that you couldn't taste anything else, and there was no flavor to the hot sauce. We had a couple of desserts. We tried the vanilla creme brulee. We tried the classic carrot cake, and we tried the double chocolate mud pie. And again, all of them met with... It was all right. Desserts are each seven ninety five for the five of us. Dinner was one hundred and ninety dollars. Whoa! They do not take the Disney dining experience. They decided her words were they stopped taking that a couple of months ago. They just didn't think it was worth it. <laughs> I'm serious. This is the new person talking. I was going to say this is probably when they went to Landry though, because they didn't take it at um, the other place we went as well. So. I am of the belief that you can spend $200 in a much better fashion mm. other places at Walt Disney World and not put up with this kind of ridiculousness. There's just absolutely no reason for a two-bit restaurant manage- manager to take that much attitude with anyone. No. If you must eat on the west side, eat at uh, House of Blues. That's it's just food an excuse. Good service, too. Yeah. I mean, you're a service-oriented business. You can't be doing that. I, I mean, have to say, Kevin, that Anytime that Corey and I have eaten over there, and we have several times over the years that we've been here, they've never been overly friendly at that hostess stand. It's almost like you feel like, you know, there's four people standing there. It's almost like you're, it's like, oh my God, you know, like you're why being are there judged. four people? You I'll know? never have sushi there again. And it's, like, it's like you're approaching the Heathers. You they know? put mushrooms in their miso soup. Any place that does that is not a good place to eat, in my opinion. <laughs> I just, I, I, first of all, you have to face this. Do you remember the Robert Palmer video? Yes. Where all those girls had on the same makeup and the same <laughs> eyebrows. They were at the behind the camera. Simply irresistible. That was the one. They stood there, and that's exactly the face they were making. It wasn't like, hi, how are you today? We hope you're having a good time. It was like, what? See, wow. that's a restaurant that doesn't care about a return client. They they don't have to because the people are coming from all over the world. Bob, and he didn't They may care. not be there more than once. He didn't care if I left. He, I, I, I almost... My jaw hit the floor when he told me I was the one who changed the number in the reservation. I thought, oh, you know. I would have put his head through a wall. You have a firm grasp of the obvious. Now, I would have put m- his head along. through a wall. I actually, I wasn't very polite to him at all. I told him. Nor should could, you have been. Uh, what he could do with his restaurant and his table. So, uh, but that's it. It was $190. It was, 
I don't want to say it was a fiasco. The soup was good. The whole roasted chicken was good. The rest of it was overpriced for what you got. At least I, I you just, got a good story out of it. Well, <laughs> you know what? I come back and I tell you the truth. Yeah, you know, no. The, so, but you wonder it. how many other people does this happen to? Right. Right. Well, you know, like I said, the um, I, I can't remember the woman's name I was talking to who was telling me about Wolfgang Puck and what a terrible experience it was. That's why I asked Kevin to go over to see, you know, if, mm-hmm. if he had the same thing. So I think this is not just got, your experience. I think this is a little on a endemic. regular basis. The other thing is, I I have a pretty strong constitution. I mean, I can pretty much stand up to anybody. I can pretty much talk my way into most things or out of most things. This man was just not having any of it. He didn't care whether I stayed or left. And I think to myself, you know what? We sat in an empty restaurant, spent $200, and you should have been a little more polite. Did you say anything on the way out? Like, no. Did you see those other two six No, actually, cables? he disappeared, and there was a different manager. Oh. And you know what? I figured my retribution is the fact that I get to come here and tell the truth. Yeah. Yep. So... You got a pretty nice-sized soapbox here to share the story. I mean, I wasn't looking for anything. I wasn't looking to be treated with anything other than basic dignity. And I don't think adding a person to your reservation is that big a deal. Now, I can understand if you're walking into someplace like La Cellier, which has reservations for the next two years, it seems. That's different. That's entirely different. This wasn't the case. And we asked beforehand. We asked if this was going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. Is this going to be a problem? It's not like we walked in there, barged in, and said, "Listen, you accommodate us because we changed the playing the the rules of the game." Yeah. That's not how it went, and I just think it's just not necessary. I'll stop repeating myself now. And we were certainly not the silent shoppers that day. <laughs> no. you could hear us from across the restaurant. Well, you know, it was. Uh, I, I was thinking about. I, I've been thinking about going over there. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've eaten over there. I was thinking about going over there, and you just saved me a trip. Thank you very much. And I think, Wolf, it's fair to say, though, the, the expresses are very good. Yeah, they are. I do like expresses the are very they're, good. They're, they're reasonably priced. Right. They're fast. They're the food is food. generally pretty good. Yeah. yeah the um, rosemary chicken with the garlic mashed like potatoes. The, the, the soup. Like yeah, as long soup. as you don't have to interact with their staff, yeah. everything's fine. I, I've actually made friends with the folks at... Um, We've actually become friendly with some of the folks who work over um, in the Marketplace version of the Express. And we have a couple of things that we like done certain ways, and they're really accommodating about it. And there's never been a problem. There's always been, you know, listen, we'll do anything you ask us to do kind of attitude. And again, nobody goes into a place looking to be treated in that sort of manner. You just expect to be treated with dignity and kindness, I guess. So I I want to post your review everywhere. (laughs) Like... Send it to the main office of the company. Oh, man. There was just no reason for it. Well, I'd be interested to know, like I said, you know, we talked to one person at the meet who had a bad experience. You've had a bad experience. Anybody else out there? Anybody else have uh, any stories to share about uh, the charming staff at Wolfgang Puck? If you do, I want you to send them in. Emails or voicemails, and I'll put them all over the site. I promise you. (laughs) Unbelievable. I'm sorry that you had to have that experience, yeah, but spent. at least, like you said, you have you, you were able to come back here and share it with people and warn other people off. Apparently, there's something really wrong over there. Yeah, I guess. I just, they didn't seem happy to be there. They didn't want you $200, I guess. He pretty much told me that. Yeah. They were ready to let you walk out of an empty restaurant. That's maybe why it was empty. So, oh, thank you very much, Kevin. We appreciate the review. All right, our next segment uh, this week, we have a Send Bob to the Park segment. Uh, one of our listeners had asked Bob to go check out the Yuletide Fantasy Tour, the behind-the-scenes um, decorating tour 
that they do at all the theme parks. And uh, he went and did that last week. And why don't you tell us about it, Bob? Yep. I went over to the and The tour starts in Epcot. It's the Yuletide Fantasy Tour. And the tour gets you up close and personal at how Disney decorates for the holidays. Uh, it shows you the areas uh, of the... Three, two, one. Uh, some of the things they cover are areas that show you the culture and the traditions that happen and how some came about. And we started ourselves off in Epcot. Uh, we met out front by uh, guest relations. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually take you backstage onto a, uh, one of the cruise line tour buses. And they go through and they talk to you about you know, different traditions and things like that in some of the countries. And they uh, uh, they told about a story about how mistletoe, mistletoe got started. Mistletoe. Okay. you got mistletoe. it out. Okay. Uh, and it was, uh, they, they go through the whole thing on how it started and people getting kissed. And uh, that was a Norway legend. And they talked about... Uh, the different colors of poinsettias that are in the displays all through uh, Walt Disney World. There's actually seven different colors of poinsettias. Really? Yeah. I didn't and, know there were seven different colors yeah. of poinsettias. Me neither. And the one they use at the U.S. Pavilion is what they call Freedom Red. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very bright red. And uh, so they had that outside. And... Uh, over in Germany, they talked about the the trains, and they talked about. I think we mentioned last week the pickle. Yes, the yes. pickle. And we actually they, the German hide the, the pickle hide Christmas the pickle. tradition. <laughs> and Inga, find the I'm pickle. not saying anything. <laughs> but that is. They they talked about that tradition and how it started or, or what it meant, mm-hmm. and that the people, Inga. the person that finds the, I'm just going to keep going. Keep going, yeah. It, that finds the pickle in the tree gets to an extra present. Now, did they tell you yeah, when this they, tradition yeah, first started, sure did they use a real pickle or has it always been an ornament? No, they used a real pickle. Oh, God. But what if they didn't find they, it for they a few actually, weeks? They actually have, they're selling the pickles at, at the ornament yeah, shop. Yeah, like little yeah. glass, mm-hmm. little glass pickles. They, they have different size pickles, too. So I would <laughs> <laughs> Get into that, Bob. Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying, guys. (laughs) Come on. How big is your pickle? (laughs) (laughs) So, and then they 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 talked about how uh, at Christmas time, back in the 1800s, how ornaments started getting onto Christmas trees because that's an American tradition and it's uh, something that uh, the Germans were making these hand glass ornaments. Mm-hmm. And this uh, importer went to F.W. Woolworths back in 1880 and tried to sell him uh, a, a case, 144 ornaments to sell for five cents. And he'd buy them for two cents. Well, Woolworths finally bought them uh, with the uh, thing that if he didn't sell them, that the guy would take whatever he didn't sell back. Well, he ended up selling those out the first day. And that's how uh, the ornament thing started and in America. And over the course of time, he was doing millions of dollars in hmm. importing. 
and he locked up. He bought everything from this importer for for years on, and it, it was a multi-million dollar order every year, and he was the only one that was getting it, so he bought everything they'd make. Mm. So that was one of the things. Um, That's a really cool story. That is a good story. So never knew, I never heard that. And then they talked about in Italy, we went to Italy, oh, just before I leave Germany, the colors uh, they use in Germany, uh, reds and greens are, are the typical colors that they usually use over there. And uh, over in uh, Italy, they they go more towards gold colors, and they use angels. Yeah, the Italians are always a little more gaudy with that stuff. And we like it our has gold. A, it has a religious theming to it. And uh, and the nativity scene came from that because Germany used to celebrate. It was more of a celebration. In Italy, it was more of a religious. spiritual, religious type of thing. Right. So uh, one of the things that came out of Italy is on Christmas Eve, there's the you eat fish on Christmas Eve. And they call it... Uh, the Feast of the Seven Fish. Hmm. So that's where a lot of people, like I used to eat fish on, on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. and that's the celebration of the birth of Jesus. So they they didn't eat meat on Christmas Eve. Okay. Gotcha. So um, one of the reasons there's seven fish is that it, it took God seven days to create the universe. Okay. So that all ties into the religious he part. He gets a fish for every day? Well, that's, that's what, that's no, what they did. Just so, uh, so then we went over, uh, we stopped at the, the uh, little train thing in Germany, and we saw that, and that's all decorated, and moved on to U.S. where they, inside, I didn't realize they had the Hanukkah, and the Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa holiday displays. And those two displays describe how it came about, and Kwanzaa came about in 1986. Uh, no, 1966, they came up with the holiday. And Kwanzaa is more of a holiday of a celebration between Christmas and New Year's, and it was just a celebration. So I just want to call people's attention that they should go inside there and you know take a look at those displays they had the hanukkah and and they had the menorah and different men- <laughs> the menorah. i love it i love it the menorah it's like the menorah <laughs> well why not we have diana and diana and donner it so, is hanukkah uh, hanukkah but they, they go through and uh, they talk about the different things there uh, the dreidel was made because of something in World War II, I think it is, they would spin it and they were using it uh, to, as a code or something. I don't know. I didn't get that story, but that's part of where the dreidel came from. Uh, also in America, they have the there's a gingerbread house inside the right inside the doorway of the restaurant, the fast food restaurant in in the U.S. Pavilion. Mm. Did you know that? Mm, no, I did not. Last year they had it outside. Well, they they have it in the doorway, and it kind of sticks out just a little bit. But if you go in to the food thing, uh, restaurant, 
on the left-hand side, you can see the whole uh, gingerbread house and get a picture in front of it. And, and I didn't. I didn't realize it was there. Take so, a bite. So if people don't want to go over to the Grand Floridian to see their gingerbread house, they have a neat little gingerbread house over there. It's not little. It's about 10 feet tall. Uh, so we learned that. And then we moved on to Japan. And Japan doesn't really celebrate the um, Christmas holiday. They're more into the uh, uh, New Year. So... When you know, I always used to think that Japan never just decorated. I mean, they did a lousy job decorating. But well, they, no, it's not a it's, it's not a Christian it's nation. It's not a Christian nation, so uh, they don't really do that. But in Japan, they if you look down at the building, <laughs> they just what? sucked at decorating. <laughs> <laughs> they were just bad no, decorators. They were really bad at it. <laughs> They're no, good what? electronics, but lousy at decorating. But they hang this. Uh, what the, we're this, gonna get letters. <laughs> this rice straw. It's like a. It looks like a big bow. It's like a white bow, but it's it's more of a yellow tint to it. it but it's uh, it hangs over the the doorway, and uh, where am I? Oh, uh, the other thing I learned for Japan is the with the uh, New Year's holiday thing. The, the drummer doll that you talked about, mm-hmm. that uh, on New Year's Day, it comes with the eyes not painted. Okay. And on New Year's Day, you make a wish, and you paint one eye. And then during the course of the year, if your wish comes through, you end up painting the second eye. And if not, you have this thing with one eye? <laughs> well, you have that thing for one eye for the whole year until the end of the year, and then you paint it anyway because... They're know, not you, good at dolls either, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, about the bow? You started talking about the bow. I did. They hang it over the the doorway. So why is the significance of it being off-white? It's, it's, not, it's, it's made from rice. It's made from rice straw. Oh. So uh, they just hang it over the door. And another thing in Japan, people used to flock to KFC on Christmas, Christmas Eve. You know why? No. No. Because Colonel Sanders looked like Santa Claus for them. So they'd go and go to KFC. <laughs> oh, Looking wow. for like a present? <laughs> wow. So. That's, pretty, that's pretty sad. Santa for Christmas? I'd like some extra crispy. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was one of the things that they mentioned on the tour. Uh, Morocco, the, there's no decorations in there. We kind of cut off just before Morocco. And, Another non-Christian yeah. nation. Right. And that's part of their heritage and religion. So, yeah. uh, but you know, I'd always thought I never really thought about it before. You know, but they brought it, you know, to my attention. After that, we went to MGM, and on the way, they they started talking about traditions and how traditions start, and uh, they talked about how Hollywood has influenced the people in the United States on traditions, the holiday traditions, like some of the movies and uh, and things, you know, so you know, White Christmas and all it's those. It's a Wonderful Life. Wonderful and Life. And they talked about... It's my favorite. They talked about that. Um, the movie Miracle on 34th Street, mm-hmm. the, uh, the people that reviewed the, the movie said 
it wasn't going to do anything. So they kind of just threw it on a shelf and tucked it away, and people forgot about it. Well, that's why it went into public public domain. And it once it got into public domain, people started showing it all the time, and it just got popular, and people liked it, and they didn't care what the critics said. So that's how Miracle on 34th Street kind of kind of got through there. Those were the things they, they brought out as we were going around for MGM. And we talked about, uh, they talked about the Osbournes and how that came about, that it just outgrew the uh, their neighborhood and they, uh, they had to take it off. Uh, Clarence Thomas was the, the acting, the judge on the Supreme Court that, made the ruling against the Osbournes, and then Disney and the Osbournes got together. And uh, so and they talked about the lighting and how they're converting to those uh, LED lights now mm-hmm. throughout Disney World. And they talked about the savings on how much electricity it saves by going to these LED lights. They they take up they use ten percent. If you were using a hundred percent, they use only ten percent of a normal light. A normal light, a Christmas light. They're not as hot too. They, right. Yeah, they they we don't get hot. We switched to all LED lights this year. Yeah, we're slowly doing it. So there's uh, fifteen million, uh, fifth, no, five million lights, and it takes them about ten weeks to set up the uh, the Osborne display. Now, Bob, I heard you mention before that they actually um, they cut the lights off. They don't they don't pull them down. They cut yeah. them off. I was talking to a gentleman that actually installed the lights for the Osborne, and he was telling me that the lights they attach to the buildings, they at the end of the year they just cut them off and and throw them away because it's not yeah. worth yeah, it. There's no way to I mean, organize they, that. Right? They like they take the uh, angels down and all the. The big tree, the the brand new tree that they have there, uh, those come down and are disassembled. But all those lights on the little strings, they just go away. Can you imagine if they did keep them? The knots they would have to get oh out. Oh my of god! I was just yeah. gonna say we had trouble untangling it. And we only have a six foot Christmas tree. <laughs> We're just like Disney. I threw away all our lights this year too. And, and they talked about uh, down on the streets of America. They have a stand there that you can get uh, chestnuts roasting. So I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know about that. And uh, they talked about the Fontaine nativity scene that's down at the end of the street on the right. That that has to be included in the uh, display every year. The Osbournes had it at the house. Mm-hmm. And they actually explained that nativity scene a little better. I guess some nativity scenes, the, the three wise men start out further out on some displays mm-hmm. and then as the days get closer they move them closer to the nativity scene mm-hmm. so I, I didn't know about that uh, but they don't do that at the Osborne uh, and then um, they talked about the purple cat that we we had talked about a few weeks ago where they hide it and what, the story behind the purple cat is that originally they that was part of their Halloween decorations and when they gave the display to Disney, that was, got shipped out with it. And when they came to look at the display, they looked up and saw the purple cat and said, what's that doing here? And they said, well, it was in the truck. 
So ever since then, they have moved their purple cat around to different areas in the Osborne Lights every year. Oh, okay, so that's a neat story. That's, yeah. why the, that's why the purple cat came about. That's an accidental tradition. Right. <laughs> so uh, from there, uh, they try to do something new every year on the Osborne Lights. And they talked about different things. And they went back to talking about the different movies. So we got back on the bus and... Then they took us to the Grand Floridian, and uh, we got off the bus. And the thing I like about the Grand Floridian is as you're going in, they have this little table there, and they have the roasted chestnuts right there. And they just pass them out to people uh, that come in. You go up to the table, and they'll give them to you. And uh, so we went in, and I just love the Grand Floridian because it's Victorian type design and that's the theming that they go with queen victoria was very uh instrumental in how that hotel is decorated with the mirrors and the bird cages and all victorian type things and they went through that and then they talked about the uh, gingerbread house and it, that it takes 840 hours work hours to actually create the house and there's a new design every year i didn't realize that no, I didn't either. Every year they they do something different on the uh, the design of the gingerbread house, and she said there was five thousand eight five thousand eighty nine shingles that they use. They make these shingles for the house, mm-hmm. and that's what covers. That's the an house. incredible uh, an incredible display. That gingerbread house at the Grand Floridian is is absolutely incredible. Yeah, there's a whole piece on. I think it's the Travel Channel does holidays around Walt Disney World. And they talk about how much goes into it and how much they do in advance and the oh, amount yeah. of flour and all that stuff. Just in case anybody's wondering, Samantha Brown is doing her Christmas at Disney World new special. It airs Tuesday night for the first time on the Travel Channel. Yeah. Not that I'm plugging Samantha Brown, but the night we were at the Christmas party, she was filming in Walt Disney World. Oh, cool. And there's 19 hidden Mickeys in the gingerbread house this year, I was told. So, I mean, they have a whole board there with the different things that they sell, so you can go up and sell. And they gave us a sampling of the gingerbread as we were getting back on the bus. And then we stopped at the Christmas decoration shop that where everything happens. That was our next stop. And we went That's out. That's the behind-the-scenes behind the shop. Behind-the-scenes, yeah. right. And this place, this building is huge. It used to be the food service area, and they, where they had everything concentrated, but they turned it into the Christmas tree thing, a Christmas decoration. And that's a that's a year round, uh, that's a year round job for people. And they talked about that. Um, Imagine working on Christmas decorations all year. They have twenty five cast members that do this. And for the hol- uh, holiday services, I and would think by the time Christmas comes around, they're like, "Okay, you think I'm not decorating my house. I'm not, I'm not walking any place that's decorated." When we went to the backstage magic tour, we went in July, and we walked through there, and they were putting bows on the wreaths that were going to be at Port Orleans Riverside. And what they were doing was they were fashioning the, the bows, and then they would make balls of uh, tissue paper to stuff inside the bow. So that it wouldn't get crushed over the the course of the next couple of months before they got to put them up, and they were doing that at the beginning of July. The time wow! Of the so hmm. they really do do it around the around the calendar. Yeah, and they uh, 
the the place was pretty empty. I mean, we went in and most of the I mean, these are pallet rackings that go to the ceiling, and they had all the empty cots that uh, like uh, Animal Kingdom Lodge tree, Animal Kingdom Lodge wreaths. And I have a question for you. There's there's a Christmas wreath in Walt Disney World, and the largest one. Do you know where it is? Cirque du Soleil. You're right. Sorry. That's okay. Good job, Kevin. You're going to ask a trivia question when Kevin's at the table. That's you kind of asking for that. Do you know how big it is? No. Ah. Ah. I was going to guess. Go ahead. I was going to say 30 feet in diameter. You're close. It's 25 feet, and it's on the side of the Cirque du Soleil building. And when you go into the uh, backstage area, they have this huge wall, and it has in big stencils Cirque du Soleil wreath. And that's where they hang the wreath in when it's not being used. So it wow. is, so it's the biggest one. They go from 12 inches to 25 feet. And uh, did you know that all the all the Christmas decorations for each hotel that uh, the Christmas service uh, holiday service charges each hotel to have those decorations? Yeah, we talked about this. The the hotels themselves have a specific budget for Christmas. It's not like they have, there's a Walt Disney World general budget. So each hotel has to budget amount of money that they're going to spend to put right. up their own Christmas decorations. So, and from 1996, they went to all artificial trees. And one of the reasons they did that was because uh, people were saying, would they'd say, is that real or is it artificial? So they figured, well, they think it's artificial anyway. They might as well be artificial. Be artificial. So from 1996 on, that's when they started doing that. Uh, and they have this thing that checks the Christmas lights. It's a uh, they call it the magic box, and it, it can find a, a bed a dead bulb on a, a string of lights. It just it, it starts flickering when they connect it to the magic box. Yeah. Uh, We then we left that yeah we left that and we ended up going to the Magic Kingdom. We didn't spend a lot of time in the Magic Kingdom, uh, basically because the tree was down. <coughs> they had uh, taken the tree down because of the Christmas parade uh, filming. Mm-hmm. So that night, the that display was down, and the the uh, wreath that goes across Main Street those were all down. But we spent a little time. They talked about the history of that and uh, what it takes to to build the tree. The castle, they talked about the castle enhancements. It took five weeks, 65 elves uh, to install five miles of cable, 200,000 LED lights, and 32,000 square feet of fishnet is what makes up that new castle. Wow. And uh, a couple of things I just want to wrap up. Number one, bring a bottle of water with you because they they didn't have water. They did do a restroom stop, but you, you need to bring something to drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up grabbing something at one of the stands as we were running by it. And uh, uh, How long was the tour? Three and a half hours. So if you're doing the morning tour, make sure you have breakfast because you're going to be there for a while. You're not going to be stopping to eat. No, you're not stopping to eat. And then in the afternoon, I wished I had had something to eat before I I got there because I ended up at 5 o'clock. Right. So 
uh, and travel light. Don't bring a whole bunch of bags and things with you because you're getting in on and off the bus. And for people that are handicapped, they have to be able to, to get up the stairs on, on the, a Disney Cruise Line bus uh, or mention it when you're making the reservation. They may have other arrangements that they can make for you uh, separately. And the last thing is they, they use these neat little uh, uh, transmitters so they, they, had, they were mic'd and everybody could hear. I, I love those That's things. That's great. So it was, it was a good experience. How much? $69 uh, for, for an adult, and it's only adults. You have to be 16 years old to do the tour. There's no children allowed. Right. And there are discounts, annual pass holder, AAA, uh, your Disney Discover card or Disney uh, card credit card will get you, uh, I think, twenty percent. The others are all fifteen percent discount. So it was well worth it. I learned a lot. So cool. That's it. Great. And I'm going to stick to it. Great. Well, thank you very much. It was very informative, Bob. I actually got a lot out of that. I I learned quite a bit. Once I got on track, it was good. Well, yeah, they're not going to hear they're not going to hear your first pass because no. we're going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Bob's first pass at this oh, was okay. a was a little more uh, a little more difficult. But um, all right, thank, thank you very much, Bob. Thanks everybody for um, all your stuff this week. It's been great, and that's going to do it for our show. Uh, reminder to everyone that our email shows are now up on Wednesday, so you will find our email show up this coming Wednesday, the twelfth. And we will see a bunch of you on the 13th for our next meet. And for those of you who are not going to be there on the 13th, we'll talk to you all again next Tuesday with another edition of the Diz Unplugged Roundtable. Have a great week.